In, a, in just a moment, I'm going to start us off with a video. And on Wednesday nights uh, this this quarter, I'm going to be using um, a book uh, by Francis Chan. It actually just came out a few days ago uh, called Letters to the Church. Now, I want to tell you a little bit about um, this book and kind of what we're going to be doing in the class. Um, I first want to tell you what this class is not. Um, I've, I've mentioned before that sometimes in the past I've, I've gotten discouraged with every year a new book comes out that's the fad and people get excited about it. It's about how to do church right and how everybody's wrong. And, and those books come out a lot. And sometimes sometimes you can benefit from things in the book, but over, overall they, they kind of breed a spirit of uh, just a divisive and negative spirit sometimes. And uh, Mead, uh, Patrick Mead posted this, and I read it a couple of weeks ago, but this really meant a lot to me. And I want to share this with you. He, he wrote this. As a minister, um, I've received the hard sell. This is the way pitches all my life. I've seen so many the way fads come and go, sometimes leaving a lot of worn out, burned out, disillusioned people in their wake. Bus ministries, open Bible studies, film strips, crossroads, Boston, four or five discipleship methods, spiritual gift inventories, and no exaggeration, dozens more. All of these were backed by good people who truly believed they had found the key. All of these worked for a while. For some, they got the low-hanging fruit and then ran into a wall leaving their champions insisting on throwing more time, resources, money, and people against the wall, even when returns were few. The Jesus way is hard, but it never stops working. Love God, love others, serve all, and let your lives and speech be full of grace and love. You don't need expensive, expansive programs. You just need a Jesus-saturated church full of Jesus-saturated people the Spirit will take it from there. Um, I love what he said in that, and because it's so true that if you read the book of Acts, you're looking at this and you're stunned by the fact that these people have no clue what they're doing at all. It's the Spirit opening doors and following and walking in the Spirit and watching God's grace. Um, before I play this video, I want to let you know that this is a book I'll be using. I have already fallen in love with a lot of what he's saying in this book. Because instead of driving the reader to look at the church and saying, fix yourself, change, it's driving the reader to say, God, fix me, help me change, help me um, have that spirit of humility that you, you called me to. Um, I met with a guy today. Oh, this is crazy. I met with this guy today, and I'd never met with him before in my life. In fact, it was one of those things where you're meeting in a place, and you have to say, this is what I'm, I look like and what I'm eating. And I won't describe how I described myself and how I looked, but you would laugh if you saw it. Um, but we met, and we sat and talked, and we had this incredible talk about faith. And he said, I grew up in a non-religious family. I have no religious experience, no religious background. Um, Brad got in contact with this guy and said, Jeff, can you meet with him this week? And I said, I'd love to. We, and we had the most amazing talk. And he was just asking about Christianity and faith and what is this and what does this mean to you? Anyway, um, we had a beautiful discussion and I was already excited. I was already thinking, this is so awesome. I'm loving this. And then at the end, I asked him, I said, let me ask you something. Why? Why are you interested? What drove you to want to talk to us? And he said, um, on, on CSU campus, there's just so much negativity. There's a lot of hatred and angst when it comes to religion. He said, there's a, a person that goes to your church 
that surrounds herself with positivity and service. And she makes me want to know more. How about that? And I was so like overwhelmed and I was like, God, thank you for just hearing that. And I can't wait to tell this person, you know, that this is what they said about them. But I was so overwhelmed and I thought, man, is what if that is what the world saw in us? I mean, isn't that what Jesus said? They will know you're Christians by your love, by, by your practice, what you're doing. And so I was so excited to see that. I'm going to come back to that story after this video. Um, but I really do pray that this is a time where, um, in this study, God really speaks to us. I want you to know, and those of you who know me well know that I hope, hopefully I'll stick to my guns on this one. When I pick up a book like this, and I love the book, I don't want you to think I'm studying this book. We're going to be in God's Word, okay? And, and that's exactly where I know Chan is going to lead us. So we're just going to get in the Word uh, together. So let's go ahead and open session one. So as you guys get started in this small group study, I mean, the one word that I just hope permeates your conversations every week is humility. Um, my, my biggest fear in writing this book was exactly what scripture says, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And we live in a time when people are so sure of their opinions and they value their opinions so much and, and they can come to a group and you may come thinking, no, I know the truth about church. I understand this or, or even read the book and go, okay, now I get it and I've got ammunition against everyone else. It's like, that's exactly what we don't want is this knowledge that creates an arrogance, um, because it's so hard to lead nowadays. Being a leader, it's so difficult um, to lead in this generation. I mean, pride's always been on this earth, obviously, but I've never seen it this bad, where people value their opinion so much. And so I'm just saying, as you get started, I think the best thing you can do before you read the book, before you gather as a group, maybe the first order of business today, if, if right after this video, is that you beg, beg, beg God to make you humble. Just beg him, please, please, please make me humble, God. I need this because God says that he pours out his grace to those who are humble and he opposes those who are proud. So there's nothing worse than that pride. And so even as a group, pray for each other. And, and I'm, I'm going to ask you to take it a step further is to be honest with each other. Um, this is difficult. Maybe even for you as an individual to ask the people in the group to say, hey, would you show me, please, as we go through the study, please tell me, be honest with me, if there's pride in my life, if you see pride coming across, please tell me, because I want the grace of God. See, pride is one of those things, I remember being early on, someone uh, telling me, you know, pride's like bad breath. It's like, you don't know when you have it. You know, going, you know, that doesn't really work. Like everyone else can smell it. Everyone else can see it. But pride is one of those things that you, you often almost always will not see it in your life. 
Um, and sometimes it takes other people, and that's why we need the body. That's the whole point of the church. There are things you won't see in yourself that, that you need others to point out. So maybe even ask the group, you guys, please, as we go on this, show me. Show me if I'm being arrogant. Show me if I'm not being loving, because knowledge puffs up and love builds up. And, you know, in that introduction, I, uh, or the first chapter, I talk about uh, David and his humility. And we just see him with Saul. Um, and he had such a humble spirit about himself, understanding God's anointed. And it's very easy, you know, with knowledge about the church to go to your church leaders with an arrogance and forget, no, these are the people that God has placed in authority over you. And so how do you do that humbly? It doesn't mean we don't talk to them. It doesn't mean we don't discuss. It doesn't mean that there isn't a time to confront if if something is off. It's just that spirit of humility that we all want when you go to bed. I've, I've had people come to me as a leader and say things to me that were just so powerful that I needed to hear. I needed the body of Christ to show me my shortcomings. Um, but lately, I've just seen such a spirit that is not the spirit of David. But actually, I don't know if you ever read the story of Absalom, David's son. Um, and hey, we can't get into the whole story right now. Read it sometime in Second Samuel. But uh, there was almost like this creative, like rebellious usurping of power. Um, if you read in Second Samuel 15, where it says that Absalom, verse 3, would say to him, as people were, were coming to him uh, at the gate, well, let me read it back, um, verse 2, Absalom used to rise early and stand beside the way of the gate. And when any man had a dispute to come before the king for judgment, Absalom would call to him and say, from what city are you? And when he said, your servant is of such and such a tribe in Israel, Absalom would say to him, see, your claims are good and right, but there's no man designated by the king to hear you. Then Absalom would say, oh, that I were a judge in the land, then every man with a dispute or cause might come to me and I would give him justice. And whenever a, a man came near to pay homage to him, he would put, it, put out his hand and take hold of him and kiss him. Thus Absalom did to all of Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. It's just such a, and it's kind of a crazy picture where he's grabbing people that were going to go to the king. And he's like, yeah, the king. I mean, if I were in charge, here's what I would do. You know, man, if I was ever the leader, here's what I would do. Man, because your point's totally valid. I mean, unfortunately, things aren't set up that way. It, you see that spirit? It's just kind of like, man, I could have helped you. It's it's directing people to yourself like you're the savior. But it's, it's really this uh, rebellion against the leadership that God has anointed. And so as we do this, let's just be very careful about our words because I've seen rebellion very, very carefully disguised as, uh, oh, poor me, you know, the leaders just really hurt me, and so can you guys pray for me, because the leaders really offended me. Like, man, what, we're now we're throwing in a prayer request, or say, oh, 
Rob really hurt my feelings. Let's pray for him because, I, I don't know, maybe he just doesn't have... It, it's just, we're using these words to tear other people down. And it's very cleverly done. And that can happen in this environment where we actually bring division more than we bring unity to the church. So let's just be very careful of our words as we speak about leadership, as we speak about other churches. Um, again, this is God's temple. And then the last thing I would say is, as you get into the study, try to remove any limitations you have in your mind right now. And what I mean by that is sometimes we can go into a group assuming certain things, like, I'm going to come and I'm going to learn stuff about the church. But, you know, when Jesus would speak to people, he wanted everything surrendered. It wasn't just, I'm going to learn some things. When God's word is written, we should surrender everything. That means there should be no limitations on what God's calling you to do. He may call you to leave the country and plant a church in a hostile country. Have you surrendered to that and said, I'll do it? He may call you to stay exactly where you are and come under the leadership and support it. Are you totally open to that? He may call, even with this group that you're with, do you have limitations on how much you will love one another? He may call you to sell your house and take all the proceeds and give it to these people. To, I mean, there can't be limitations. Not limit, Sometimes we come in with limitations of our privacy. Like, I'm only going to give the church like an hour or two, you know, at this time, and then it's family time. I'm only going to live in this place. I, I have to have this much income. I must have... You know, there's so many things rather than saying, okay, God... Help me, because I'm scared, but I want to surrender everything. I'll go anywhere, do anything, humble me. I'll give anything this to this, because the church is bigger than me. Okay? You've got to understand this. What we're talking about here is sacred and much bigger than you. The church is bigger than you and your life. And you need to come under that. And I think most people don't see it that way. It's like, here I am, and here's the church down here, and let me see if it can fit into little aspects of my all-important life. Um, But we're talking about the bride of Christ, and we're saying, God, I want to value her more than I value my own life. Let me hear some of your thoughts. What are your what are your uh, reactions to that video? Yes, that's a good answer. Yes, I mean, what, I mean, anything else, man? We you hear that video, that introduction. What are your thoughts? Yeah, Christy. I'm sorry. Yeah, it gets harder too. Uh, it's yeah, it's 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 really hard. Next week's message, man, I'm, I'm really working on that right now, and it really messed with me today. It's super love what he's saying uh, about next week, but um, it's hard, man. This is it's a very difficult thing, and I, and I really want to get into this title. Uh, the departure is what he titled this, and I had to sit for a while. There's not many books where I look at a chapter and I'm like, 
I really read through this chapter twice, and I had no clue. Why did you call this the departure? Didn't really catch it in the chapter when I read it. I had to think about it for a while before I really said, okay, why did you call it that? What are your thoughts? Why do you think he called it that? I don't think it's super obvious, and I read the book. I, I, I you know, any any idea? Yeah. Ooh, I like that. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Okay, we got to do that right now, and I'm glad you said that because I need to remember to do that. He started out this video with the most powerful statement. He said, you need to get on your knees right now. Beg God for humility. Beg him for humility. And you remember the analogy he used of what pride's like? Like having bad breath, everybody else recognized it in you, but you don't. You ever been in one of those situations? I was on an airplane the other day. This happened to me. You, in one of these situations, you're in a tight space, and you're like, "Oh, <laughs> so somebody's ripe in here." Um, yeah, yeah, and, and you're like, "This is crazy, man." Somebody stinks, and all of a sudden, you lift up your arm and like, <laughs> and then you're just standing there like this. You're like, "Oh, it's me," you know. It, and I love that analogy, man. Probably being like, like. Uh, bad breath. So uh, let's just come before God and, and pray that uh, his word will work in us. Uh, God, I do. I, w- I want to, um, and I'm praying not just for Meadowlark or for myself. I'm, I'm praying for your church everywhere right now. I, I do. I beg you for humility. And it's, it's hard, awkward to do that in a public prayer, but I hope you know my heart and every single one of us before you. Uh, just pray for your spirit to overwhelm us with vision of who we are where we were brought from, and the awesome and incredible God that we stand before. Uh, The amazing privilege is beyond words to be a part of your kingdom and your people. And I pray, God, that we will not lose vision, we won't lose sight, we won't lose uh, passion, and that we would run this race that's marked out for us um, every day with purpose. Uh, guard our hearts, guard our minds, and guard our spirits in you. And I pray that we'd have a deep look at ourself. God, so that every single one of us, especially when we're a part of a body like Meadowlark, would be the salt and the light that you design us to be amongst your people. Uh, I love you guys so much for the messages that are here and your word. It's in Christ's name. Amen. Um, so the first, um, the first analogy that he uses is kind of trite, man. It's one I've heard before, but I thought it was an appropriate place to start. He begins by asking this question of us. He says, imagine you were on a deserted island, of course, and it's just you and a Bible, and you had no outside influence, nothing at all, and you were to sit and read Scripture. What would your vision of what the church is supposed to look like be? Um, If it were just you and a book... What would you presume the church is and how you would, and then how does that differ from your experience and what church, church is? Let me know. Let me hear what you would say about that. I had kind of a different answer. Yeah, Nicole. Okay. Right? Okay. They devoted themselves. I, I, you know what? You know what? I love it. I, I, I love it that you went to Acts 2. The, the crazy thing in this verse that I've never caught before is I've always thought, man, devoted themselves. That word stuck with me to what? The apostles' teaching, 
to breaking bread. That's a beautiful one to look at, right? And to prayer. And then, I, and then my mind always jumps to the next part. They had everything in common. They sold their possessions. Said, this is the body, man. They're in love with God. But I loved this verse that I never caught before. Everyone was filled with awe. How about that? The church was filled with awe constantly, which is at the heart of everything that's happening is like, my life is filled with awe. So that's the first thing. What else? What would you say? Would, you, would your impression be of what the church would be? Yeah. Right. Okay. Right. Right. Ooh, that what you just said is really important. Kind of controversial what you just said. You're saying people can be weak and still be in Christ. Yeah. Right. Yep, I love that. I think that's super important that you say that, that you say, you know, let's look beyond what the ideal state of us is. We have to look to the ideal state of what us is, because this is where we need to be, right here. Uh, here. Um, right. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. I love that comment. Anything, Chuck? I think at first love that in the New Testament church it was filled with people who had a first love. All right. God. All right. New, exciting, um, devoted, just overwhelmed, enthusiasm, joy. Yeah. Right. But a person who is, is newly engaged, they don't look at reality. <laughs> That's the best quote I've heard in a while, Chuck. I love that. that I, I have to repeat what you said, so it's going to be on my mic. <laughs> People who are newly engaged are out of touch with reality, which is actually beautiful in the context in which you're talking about it. So, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, Because God brings us into a new reality, you know, exactly. It's, yeah, yeah. Right. Fearless, on fire, unstoppable. I love this, and I knew we were going to say some of this, but something hit me, man. And, and I was thinking, every one of y'all are thinking awesome thoughts, but you're all thinking from the book of Acts right now. Everyone's in the book of Acts so far. Um, we're going to get out, out of Acts here in just a second. Yeah, Nicole? Right. <laughs> okay, I'm going to share some verses. 
Look at this. This is also what I was thinking, because when Chan asked this question, I knew his mind was Acts 2.42. I knew that. That's true. But I was thinking, wait a second, Chan. If I was left on an island with the Bible, this is what I was left with. After Acts, we got this. I fear for you that somehow I wasted my efforts on you. That's what he wrote to Galatia. If somebody wrote that to me in a letter, I'd go cry for a month. Um, There is sexual immorality among you, and of the kind that doesn't even occur among pagans, he wrote to Corinth. Uh, You know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me. You know that's the last letter that Paul wrote. That's one of the last things we have that Paul wrote, is he said, everybody in Asia left me. And that's only part of that paragraph. He goes on, it gets worse. And Galatians, again, if you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out, or you'll be destroyed by each other. This is where the church is now. You've forsaken your first love, he says to Ephesus. You've a reputation of being alive, but you're dead, he says to Sardis, because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold. I'm about to spit you out of my mouth, he says to Laodicea. You know, you're looking at this and you're thinking, Chan, I'm going to be real with you. If I just had the Bible on a deserted island, I would think this church didn't survive after the first century. They had to have died. Uh, It leaves you in a place where you're thinking, how could the church have even survived? And that's when it hit me why he calls this the departure. Is this early church set out on fire, souls going, I'm sharing what I've got. Now I'll be honest with you, and I'm, I hope this is a fair statement. I'm, I'm oftenly, oftenly, I'm often told that I'm way too optimistic about stuff, but, uh, I really believe if we were in a time of persecution here, a serious time of persecution, and all of us lost our jobs, and we had no income, and we were hurting together as a family, and we're losing family members, and people are dying, and there's a serious war, I really do believe that a good number of people in this room, a good number of people in this room, would open up their homes and sell their possessions and do whatever they could to keep the body alive. I do believe that about the body, and so I don't know, um, you know, I hate to look at people today and, and, and be over the top on this, but sometimes it takes a challenge in our life to restore that spirit in us. You know, um, what happens in the Bible, what we're witnessing in the New Testament is running this race. I'm just going to read this. This is Galatians 5. He writes this to Galatians. You are running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? What that kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. What a verse. This persuasion, man, whatever it is that has taken your passion and your joy and your life and taking you a different direction, um, that's not coming from God. And you need to know that. Is Daniel in here? Daniel, are you in here? I was in, sitting in Daniel's desk today, um, and I just saw a note that was on his desk, and it made me so excited. And I have to remember what it says, and I totally forgot. But it said something along these lines that, man, if you are walking in God's will, if you are really walking in God's will, there is no reason that joy and peace isn't overwhelming in your life. You know, that this, it was, I, I'm going to totally butcher the quote, but it meant a lot to me to hear it uh, that way today. All right, before I move on uh, to some of these, some challenging things here, any other comments or thoughts on kind of what we talked about so far? Yeah, Mom? Right. Uh, you're living in a, t- and I think it's so important that we recognize the teachings of the New Testament 
are so important to us and applicable to us, and every word is like gold. But it is so important that we recognize the circumstances these are written in because it makes it more powerful. Uh, These are people that are in many circumstances uh, not sure that the next generation, uh, uh, that they would live to see their kids. Uh, It it was a rough, rough uh, time that these, these books were written in. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever seen a circumstance like he was talking about when he said you, you, you find just the right tactful way to tear somebody else down so it doesn't really look like you're tearing them down? You know, have you ever seen somebody do that or done that yourself? I've done it myself, so I'm just going to put myself out there. Um, absolutely. I said, man, that tactful way of tearing somebody down or something like that. I love it that he used Absalom for that. Absalom's way of getting, getting at the king was to say, you know what, if I was king, things would be a little bit different, man. I'm just going to let you know, you know, and winning the hearts of the people. So the church is what God Yes. Wow. Told them what to do. Right. And it, they right. Right. But we have to do what he tells us to do. And I see, and what happened in the New Testament, in Galatians, in Corinthians, in Corinth, and all these places, mm-hmm. they started looking more like the world. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think it's a very biblical analogy. It's a very biblical analogy, talking about when God left... Um, He warned the people if they left the Hittites and Girgashites and Amorites in the land. And he uses that phrase, they will become a thorn in your flesh and they will influence you. And I think that that's what Paul was alluding to when he talked about his thorn in the flesh and this evil influence that was still there among the people that he was having to wrestle with. Um, Some of you have had cancer. You you know that talk that you have with the doctor. But uh, I had a melanoma about five years ago on the back of my neck, you know, and y'all were, y'all, some of you remember that and. I shared with you, some of you, man, you've been through that several times. You're like, Jeff, this is your first one? Man, get ready. Go skin checks. But let me tell you, that first time, that'll shake you. And um, I went, and because it was a melanoma, he explained the way it worked. And he said, man, you have to take big margins on these because it can spread, you know, and and you have to be cautious. And obviously, my answer is what? Man, Take as much as you need, man. I don't want to come back here. I, I don't want to ever see you again, man. Um, 
and, 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 and so, yeah, you take these big margins. I'm left with this cool scar. But, um, but I think about that and this idea of what's re- left in me, this remnant that's left in me. And what Chan is working into, which is so beautiful, is this idea of when I came to Christ, man, um, I saw him for who he was. I was excited about this grace. And he uses this um, parable, if you will. One of the kids in his group, youth group said this to him, and he shared it in the book. But he said, man, it was like you're challenging my life because when I first came into contact with God's grace, it was like somebody gave me these ice skates. And I got super excited about these ice skates. And I said, man, thank you for the grace. I have ice skates. I'm going to do tricks. And I'm out there doing pirouettes. And I'm out there doing, that's the only ice skating trick I can think of right now. I'm out there doing these crazy tricks. And then all of a sudden, somebody comes to me and says, these are hockey skates. Um, You're a part of a team. And you're out here doing pirouettes, man. Uh, You're out here doing your own thing. Um, but the truth is, I've called you to be a part of a team. And so this, this thing that we've, we've been so, we've been so connected with this idea, especially here in Colorado. We've been connected with this idea that I can worship God and I don't need church. I can worship God away from church. And even we have been comfortable with that kind of talk. But the Bible actually doesn't talk like that very often. It's actually like, how do you worship God? Through our relationships. Through the way we treat people, through the way you got this grace, and it's intended to be used as a part of the body. It's a, intended to be used through the body, um, and this is probably where we honor him more than anywhere else. Is a part of his church and a part of his kingdom. This is something he said in his book, and I just wanted you to reflect on it real quick and see if see what your thoughts are. He says the strangest part about this season of my life is that my intimacy with God has been directly tied to my connection with the church. Is that a surprising statement to you? What do you think about that? My intimacy with God is directly tied now to my connection with the church. That's not something you would hear many people say, right, Christy? Right? Right? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I don't know, man, that shook me. And I I loved that statement so much because I think that if we were, if by God's grace, he allowed us to continually see one another through his eyes, that I would, I would not, um, I, I would not see other people that go to my church. I would see God's children that I'm in the privileged state of being with. And to be able to encourage and lift somebody up and forgive and show grace and arm, arm myself with that spirit and lift up his children. I've said before, man, and I learned this in youth ministry. If there's one thing I ever learned, you want to, you want to really get close to, I'm going to use Stephen Christie. You really want to mean something to Stephen Christie. You want to become a close friend to Stephen Christie. I could say, Steve, I love the way you lead worship. I could say, Christie, you're so organized. I love what you're doing. Man, forget that. You do something for their kids. You do something for their kids. You got their heart. You know, it's your kids, you know, and that's how God is. It's like, listen, I love it that you're singing to me. I love it that you're studying my word. I love it that you're in this. But do you really want to worship me? Love my children. And what isn't that what Jesus said to Peter? Do you love me? <laughs> Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Tend to my flock. Do you love me? Take care of my lambs, man. This is how you show your love to me is the way you treat the body in one another. 
um, in this in this uh, place. Um, yeah. Right. Right. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it becomes your family. And, and that's sort of the downside, too, because we're very much like a family. Uh, in other words, man, you start getting close, and then you get too close, and you're like, ah, can't go on any road trips with you anymore. But let's just meet, meet on Sundays, man. You know, very much like a family. I hear that. Um, Sorry. So, I mean, the Jews, would ha- in order to be close to God, would have to go to the temple where God was. Right. While we ourselves are God's temple, the way that we can get close to God is by going with all the other temples. All right. So, we as the church, all possessing God, if I'm out on my own, not connecting them with the body, I have a little bit of God. If I come back to the body, that's where I really am going to see God. Yeah. I love it because there's a verse that Peter writes that's exactly what you just said, and I've always struggled that he said it. But uh, instead of saying, Jeff, you are the temple, I, I like to quote Corinthians because it's like saying, Jeff, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God's presence is with me. This is awesome and powerful. But Peter words it differently, and he words it the way you worded it. He said this, you also, like living stones, are being built into a temple of praise to our God. Wait, I'm a stone? That's part of something bigger than me. And that's how Chan ended. <laughs> you know, you're a part of something so much bigger than you. And in this place and in this body, as well as my spirit, that's where God's spirit is. Um, I love the comment you made earlier because um, it's so important to, um, and I'm just going to close this with Hebrews 12. Kind of my in reaction when Chan challenged us to think about the deserted island and what we thought of the church. Immediately I thought, you know, this is this is Acts 2. And then I thought, man, what about all these struggling churches? And you know what Jesus still says to the church in Revelation? Even though they're struggling, even though their hearts, even though they're going through all this, behold, I stand at the door and knock. I still stand, I still knock, I still love you with all my heart. And recognizing the church, those that are struggling, those are far, but recognizing his people and showing love to everyone um, in that kind of spirit. Um, I'm going to love this study. Uh, I think Wright's going to help me with this and kind of going through this. We're just going to sit and kind of listen to some audio messages every week and kind of comment on the way we did today. But I pray that you feel as challenged by this as I do. This is so nourishing to my spirit uh, because I just... I can't believe God put this man in my path today that said what he said before this class. I was drawn to want to know more about your faith because of one of your church members and the way they conduct themselves. And I thought, my God, I want this. I want that in me. I want people to not say anything else about us or about me except that I see the Spirit of God alive in those people, right? Uh, My Father, I just want to come before you and I pray that blessing over your people today and over us. Uh, guard us at Metal Ark and in your church everywhere. Uh, guard our hearts. Cause us to walk humbly before you. Um, to honor one another as better than ourselves. And I pray, God, in this race that we're running, that we won't get comfortable and we won't lose sight of the, 
the vision that maybe we one time at one time had. Um, I love you, God, for surrounding us with faithful witnesses the way you have. And I pray, God, that we would throw off everything that hinders us, the sin that tangles us up, and that we run with endurance and with passion uh, the race that's marked out for us. Um, I love you for challenging our heart by your spirit. It's in Christ's name. Amen. Um, If you have children, I have been given instructions. Please go pick up your children after class. (laughs)